0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 227. Every single person taking a Royal Caribbean cruise has to answer this simple question. Inside or balcony room? It's a debate every cruiser has, and it boils down to considering the merits of price, space, itinerary, and a lot more. This week, we share the considerations you ought to look at before booking the right room for you. Here we go. Among the many common questions we get at royalcrimeanblog.com, I think a lot of them have to do with stateroom choice, and inevitably there is a debate that almost everybody goes through, which is whether or not they should go for an inside cabin and save some money or pay a little bit more for a balcony room, and the debate has been debated for quite a while, it seems, ever since cruising probably began and balconies became a really popular option. They have been a very interesting choice as to whether or not what makes sense for you and today we're aiming to answer or at least help answer the question is it worth it to pay extra for a balcony cabin on a cruise and and or do I really need a room with a balcony and basically what we're talking about are you know rooms that have a private veranda slash balcony depending on what you want to call it that is your own little private space to go out on this of course there are Two general types of categories that uh, have a balcony it's of course, balcony state rooms and, of course, suites as well. We're mostly talking about balcony rooms, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that suites were included in this. The alternative is an interior room, a room that does not have a balcony, it doesn't have it somewhere outside to go to, although they may have a view outside. Traditionally, the debate is between an inside room, so the smallest and also most affordable room versus the balcony, but also ocean view staterooms, rooms that have portholes or windows in general, are also included in this debate because oftentimes the price difference between an interior and a ocean view is negligible while the jump to balcony can be a little bit more. So first and foremost, I think the the factor that dominates the conversation of inside or balcony has got to come down to price. It should come as no surprise that inside or ocean view rooms are usually cheaper than balcony rooms, the added room size balcony and a view of the balcony come with a higher cost. The thing is, how much extra exactly will vary. The price gap between an interior room and a balcony will vary from ship to ship and sailing to sailing. Sometimes it's measured in thousands of dollars, and other times it's just a few hundred or even less. In fact, sometimes I've actually seen balcony rooms that are cheaper than inside rooms, believe it or not. When considering the price difference, you really need to look at the nightly price and what that gets you. Nearly everyone that books a Royal Caribbean cruise is on some sort of a budget, so even if they want to book a balcony stateroom, it may not be financially viable. I mean, if all things being equal, right? I mean, why wouldn't you take a balcony room? It gives you more space, gives you the private area. I mean, I think very few people will probably say, no, I would not want a balcony room purely on the merits of the balcony. So it's important to at least consider the options because there are so many options in which the price difference can vary, and sometimes the price may be actually quite low. Often inside state rooms are the least expensive option, which means guests can spend less money on their cruise vacation and have more money to spend during the cruise on things like drinks, short excursions, especially restaurants, or pretty much anything else you can do go for sale. And a lot of times that price difference is really that question. Would you rather spend, you know, five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars more for the room, or have that money, quote unquote, in your pocket and then be able to spend that on the actual, you know, sailing and the cruise. And in many cases. Upgrading to a room can be the difference between having you know a lot more extra money to spend on board versus somebody who's getting the room they want, but they might say, well, we're going to have to go a little bit cheapo on the onboard amenities. Nothing's wrong with either option. It's really just a matter of personal preference and what your style is like, certainly. Now, of course, the difference in price will depend on many factors in terms of you know wh- how much of a price gap there is between a balcony and an inside room. Certainly, balconies on Alaska itineraries are cert- way more expensive Than Caribbean itineraries, time of year, of course, peak season versus low season, and ship class. Newer ships have more balconies, so there's more supply involved. Also, there are on Oasis-class ships, we have, of course, the interior-facing balconies. These are the neighborhood balconies, balcony rooms that face Central Park and Boardwalk, which I'm really big fans of, quite honestly. First of all, they are cheaper than ocean-facing balconies. Second of all, they give you some nice perks for staying in them. They're called... They've changed the names over a couple of different times, but basically these neighborhood perks. If you stay in the Central Park balcony, you get a free bottle of red wine, complimentary meal at Giovanni's or Jamie's Italian, depending on what ship you happen to be on, and a complimentary private gaming lesson in the casino. Whereas if you stay in a boardwalk balcony room, you get a complimentary meal for four at Johnny Rockets, you get up to two free soda packages, and you get a private rock climbing wall session. And again, those are some nice perks. And also, it's really cool to be able to see that. I mean, ocean-facing balconies are really nice. You can see what's around you. But from a people-watching perspective and just the sheer beauty, I'm a really big fan of the neighborhood balconies. And since you can usually save a little bit of money compared to ocean-facing balconies, they're not bad. And there's also something called virtual balconies, which are uh, high-definition projections inside of a room. So you have basically one of your walls is a TV screen, for lack of a better word. And in that room, you're going to be able to have a virtual balcony room. It's live- high definition look outside. It's pretty cool. Now, it's not meant to really replace a balcony experience. It's actually more like to enhance an inside room experience, but there are all we should mention some alternatives that you should also consider when you're talking about that. But when it comes down to sheer price, certainly if, if, if your budget is your number one factor, well, then an inside room is, is going to be a big deal for you. Now, if living space is important to you, well, balcony rooms significantly offer more living space than interior stair rooms. As an example, On Lure of the Seas, a standard interior stateroom offers somewhere between 150 to 172 square feet of space, whereas a superior ocean view stateroom with balcony comes in at 182 square feet plus a 53 square foot balcony. Now, of course, room size is really hard to quantify. I can give you these numbers and they may or may not mean anything to you other than the fact that you've got to actually see it to understand it. Every square foot in your stateroom really does count, and it adds up. Whether you have 20 here or 10 there, it's the difference between you know moving comfortably around the room and doing kind of that <laughs> inside room shuffle where you're kind of getting around. There's nothing wrong with that. Not like there's a big problem. But when you stay in a bigger room and you move up to like the first time people try a junior suite, I think one of the first things they notice is. Wow, is there a lot more space in here, and that makes the room feel a little more bright and open, a little less dark and gloomy. Not to mention, you get fantastic views of the ocean and ports you're visiting. Even the most ardent interior stateroom fan will be hard pressed to really tell you otherwise. That you know, in terms of space, you know, an inside room uh, just lacks the uh, the advantage of having you know not nearly as much space as a balcony room. Now, of course, a nice thing about an inside room we should mention is if you like darkness when you sleep. An inside room, by far, is the best sleeping experience because, of course, there's no natural light coming into your room. So when you turn off that light, you can't see the hand in front of your face. That makes a big difference, honestly. And there are a lot of – look, I'll be first to admit, admit, one of the things I really like about staying in an inside room is the fact that you can really get some good sleep. The only disadvantage, potentially, is you have no idea if it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m. So if you're the kind of person who kind of likes to wake up and you know kind of figure out what time it is not, without setting alarms – it might not work out too well. I know there was a couple of cruises where I was like, oh man, it's probably like 7.30 in the morning I looked at my clock and it was like 11 a.m. already. I was like, holy moly. Hashtag being on a cruise, right? So. Now, of course, what kind of stateroom you also want to book may depend on your vacation plans and what you're looking to do. One of the things I always tell people, you know, whether which regardless of which side of the fence they're on, is I think the room that you book oftentimes dictates how you're going to travel. So what I mean by that is if you book an inside room, you're probably going to toe the line of, well, all I use my room for is showering and sleeping. So you're going to spend a lot of time outside of your room, thus making the investment in your room seem like, you know, or lack of investment in your room seem like a good idea, right? You're not spending a lot of money in your room. Why? Because you're not going to spend a lot of time there. But when you do book a balcony room, I feel like you force yourself, or you tend to at least spend more time there because you have it there. Certainly, I know that when we book balcony rooms, we will, my wife and I will take certain opportunities to go out to the balcony and just sit and, and, and enjoy. Maybe if we had been in another room, we might have gone to a public space or just stayed in our room, but we kind of find ourselves going more outside because of that. Uh, so, you know, It's great for, for sunrises and sunsets. Sunrise, sunset, sorry. And, <laughs> and certainly if you enjoy reading a book, uh, having your own private balcony really does make quite a big difference. Now, you know, it, it really depends on what you're doing and what you're looking to do, honestly. Uh, you know, if you book an inside room, you may not want to spend as much time there as you do if you have a balcony. Having a balcony means you can go there for sale aways, bring food back to the room and eat. In fact, one of the things I, I've done before and I really love doing is bring food back to the room. Uh, the... The to-go options, Izumi, uh, the Royal Caribbean specialty restaurant that offers sushi, offers a to-go option. You can actually go to any Izumi restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship and ask for to-go, just like you, know, just like you would at a <laughs> Japanese restaurant at home. You just say, oh, can I you know, have this to-go, and you place the order. In fact, you can actually call the restaurant up via the stateroom phone. They'll tell you when to come up. You come upstairs, grab it. Bring it back. It's great for families because I love having a little bit of the sushi fix. But you know, me disappearing for an hour or so to go have sushi leaves my wife in a bind. So what we often do is I will we'll call in the order, grab some sushi, bring it back, and enjoy it on the balcony because we've got the balcony. And you know, we'll take advantage of that. Now, if we didn't have the balcony, that'd be a different story, right? And then I'd say, well, perhaps I would bring it to a public area. Maybe I bring my kids with me, right? I'll pick up the sushi and then go somewhere else so they can kind of mess around. Hard to say, um, but I will tell you that you know there are some x factors to having a balcony that you know really do make a difference now, of course as i mentioned a little bit earlier but i use the alaska example you know where you're sailing to i think a balcony may be more important or feel like it's more important than otherwise certain itineraries favor balcony serums over other itineraries in the caribbean it really doesn't matter it you know it's it's more of a, a matter of preference and it will fall off, honestly i think to some other categories of decisions that we're talking about but if we're talking about a mediterranean cruise or an alaska cruise You'll find a lot of veteran cruisers who will tell you. In fact, you have to, have to, have to get a, a balcony for that room, for that itinerary, because the opportunity to see so much around you all the time is present. That you know, depending on public spaces, is is not as prudent when you're in the Caribbean. Here's when you're sailing from port to port. Oftentimes, there's not a whole lot to see out there. I mean, you can look out there. I mean, sometimes you see like you know some country as you're passing by, but it's by from a distance and. Really not much to see except for you know open ocean, which is beautiful in itself. But when you're in places like Alaska or the Mediterranean, you're so much closer to land. There's so much more things. There's also wildlife you can see as well. And so that's what people really feel compelled to get that because if you have an inside room or a non-balcony room, you're going to have to exit your room and go out there. And plus, you may not actually see anything. A lot of times, you spot these things simply by poking your head out. I'm like, oh, is there anything out there? Oh, look, there's... You know, there's dolphins or there's this city that we're passing by or a glacier or whatever, you know, something that's interesting. And having your own private balcony makes it a whole lot easier rather than, you know, having to go back and forth to a public area. And, of course, private space, right? You don't have to compete for your public for your private space, except for your family and friends who happen to be staying with you. That's a whole different story. I, I would tell you that, of course, there are, also, there are some happy alternatives between the two. Certainly uh, panoramic ocean view rooms are, are very popular. and Panoramic ocean view rooms are kind of the... the blend of inside and balcony you don't have a balcony but one of your walls is completely made up of glass so it offers you a floor-to-ceiling view of you know of the way around you outside and this is a really cool option not all ships offer this option so you you know you're gonna be limited and even ones that do offer them it's certainly not a lot but the panoramic ocean view rooms are pretty darn cool They're, they're less expensive than balcony rooms but they offer you a much better view than the obviously the inside or even a regular standard ocean view room, so there is a bit of a happy medium that can that can vary, but again, what I'm trying to say is uh, the your particular vacation plans are going to dictate in many cases what kind of whether an inside room or a balcony make a lot more sense along those lines also another major factor I think is really important when we're talking about inside versus balcony is the length of your cruise, and how long your cruise is is really I think can also make a very good argument one way or the other. On longer cruises like 7 nights or more, you know, getting a balcony is I would say pretty much more important than on short sailings. Quick 3 to 4 nights cruises may not be may not necessitate spending money on a balcony since your time is limited on board anyway and you may not spend as much time in your room. One of the advantages of booking a balcony room on a shorter cruise is the total price will not be as high as on other longer cruises, and some of the longer cruises, like repositioning cruises, can offer great deals on all rooms, including balconies, because, well, they're harder to fill those kind of sailings. Generally speaking, the longer the cruise, the more advantageous a balcony stateroom can be, although the price factor that we spoke of earlier may supersede even the cruise length consideration. I'll often hear from people who will try a balcony or a suite, on shorter sailings because that price, that total price is a little more, a little bit easier to swallow. It's not nearly as expensive. And so while three-night cruises, you may say, well, I could go on three-night cruise on some sailings and, you know, go for just a couple hundred dollars a person. But, you know, when you can justify, you know, spending another hundred or $200 for a balcony, well, it's not so bad. Whereas spending hundreds of dollars, you know, can certainly, you know, make a, a different choice all there. There are, of course, some other considerations, you know, uh, some, and again, because of your, your particular lifestyle, being able to enjoy a glass of wine on your balcony or having the ocean breeze into your room are things that we really can't qualify objectively, but, you know, can be important to one person, but not important to another person. Likewise, like I mentioned earlier, if you're a really light sleeper, having a pitch black room and in an interior room is pretty good. And, you know, quality of sleep does mean things, something, you know, to some people. Uh, If you're looking for some romance, you know, I mean, look, if you look at any Royal Caribbean commercial that shows a couple, where are they? They're probably in their balcony room, right? It's just, it's a really cool way to, you know, you can enjoy the sunset. You can spend time together over there. It's, it's a private experience and, you know, going to, there's, there's plenty of public areas on board a Royal Caribbean ship that you can go and see the ocean and, and see sunsets, and enjoy the breeze, and certainly you'll get your fill of it if you so choose. You know, but for a lot of people, they'll say, well, the issue for them is not that it's not available, it's that you're quote-unquote competing for it. You know, you you go over there, and even if you find it, it's easy enough to find a spot, but maybe it's not the ideal spot. Maybe somebody else is standing, like, right next to you, so it's hard to, you know, uh, make it a little more special uh, with somebody standing right next to you like that. Like, I think, honestly, a lot of this comes down to personal preference and how you particularly cruise and i bet you that if we had one person i'm sure we'll get some emails out of this uh for you know upcoming episodes and people will, will list a bunch of reasons why they prefer a balcony or why they prefer an interior room and someone one of you is going to be listening to this and say those are terrible ideas i don't care about any of that stuff i prefer you know x y and z instead and ultimately that's what it really comes down to i think personally when i look at the debate First and foremost, I've got to look at price. I'm not going to pay absurd amount more money for a balcony on principle alone. I certainly tend to stay in balcony rooms more often than not, but it depends on the price. And There have been many situations in which I've actually foregone the balcony and gone for a smaller room to save that money. I think budget for me and my family has to be the number one consideration when we look at it. Number two is also living space. I think that's certainly a factor. As many of you know, a lot of times with my kids we get two connecting rooms, and we're willing to spend, in fact, I, I would say 99% of the time, I would rather get two interior rooms than one balcony room. And that's certainly something to consider when you've got family travel as well. There are, you know, the larger rooms can accommodate more people in the same room. And while that may seem like a normally good idea, on a cruise ship, not so much. And having an extra bathroom by getting two smaller rooms does make a big deal. So I think that there's, you know, there, there are some, certainly some other considerations there. For us, we've, we've cruised almost exclusively in the Caribbean, so the itinerary really hasn't mattered much. For our upcoming Royal Caribbean Blog group cruise to Alaska, which, by the way, if you don't know about that, we're doing a group cruise to Alaska in June 2018, and you're invited to come join us for it. I would love for every single person who is listening to this podcast to come join us for it. Uh, I'll post a link on our show notes at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, but you can go to royalcaribbeanblogcom slash events, royalcaribbeanblogcom slash events for more information and how you can join us for it. And this is my first time going to Alaska, but you know, we—I I definitely felt a lot of self-induced pressure to book a balcony because I've heard so many people say, "Up and down, if you're going to Alaska, you got to book a balcony." Now I'll have to report back how true or not true that is, or you know, based on my experience. But you know, also it's going to be a personal thing, right? I may say, "No way, that was a total waste of money." Other people will tell you, "No, Matt, you're crazy, right?" Actually, people always tell me I'm crazy, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> the 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 real consideration here is what's important to you. And again, that goes back to the price. And I will tell you that we paid a lot more money for the balcony room that we got rather than if we'd gone for something inside. But you know, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. You know, it it, it depends. You know, for us, balcony rooms make a lot of sense for the extra space, private balcony, of course, and ambiance. Provided the price is right, we have a budget for every cruise that we take, and I think the price difference. Between a balcony and an interior room is often a, the V or a major deciding factor. There's no question that when we have a balcony room, we spend more time in it because we have it. For inside room fans, people that are, you know really do are big fans of that. They will tell you there are plenty of public spaces on board to enjoy views anytime, day or night. And the promenade deck, the helipad on select ships, the pool gives you plenty of outdoor space when you need to quote unquote get out there. And you know it's it's that argument I tell people all the time. If you book the inside and you're looking for encouragement how much time you really need to spend in your room shower, sleep, and that's it, right? If you have a balcony, you'll find yourself spending more time out there, but it really just comes down to, I think, personal preference and whatnot. If you're a new cruiser, and let's talk about this for a second. If you've never cruised before and you have no idea because you know, you're, you know, you're hearing everything I'm talking about, but you know how small is the inside room really? How does it feel? I think generally speaking for a new cruiser... A balcony room makes sense, but again, I would look at the price. And when I talk about the price difference, a couple, you know, hundred, a couple hundred dollars is certainly reasonable to pay for a little bit more for the balcony. You should not be paying thousands of dollars more. Uh, and I'm talking about total price, not per person. So, you know, would I spend a thousand on a seven night cruise? Would I spend a thousand dollars more for a balcony than an inside? I'd have to think about that one. That, that's like right in that yellow zone. You know, twelve hundred dollars or more. No, that's probably the red zone. I probably drop back to an ocean view. But you know. Don't overpay just simply to have a balcony. It's not the end all, be all. It doesn't make or, you know, it doesn't make a good cruise or not make a good cruise. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of people who've had bad cruises in balcony rooms. So it's not to say that it's a guarantee one way or the other. Likewise, I would also consider have a realistic conversation about space. Oftentimes, I see first time cruisers, family of four, going for an inside room together. That's really cute, and it's really nice. to all want to stay together. It's not a, I don't think it's a very practical idea to have four people in one room, regardless of how old they are, you know, consider two rooms, consider going to a bigger room, you know, four people in a balcony room, you're going to get a lot more living space there. But you know, if you've never seen one before, if you've never taken a cruise before, I, for two people, the debate is a little easier to do. And then you can kind of fall back purely on price or itinerary. But you know, I would definitely say balcony rooms in general are good choices for first time cruisers. But don't overpay for it, and don't be afraid to take, like I said, two connecting rooms, two promenade rooms that offer you something a little bit different, but still an inside room, and to be able to save some money. So at the end of the day, you don't want to go on to you know the cruise with this idea that I, I can't spend any money because I spent all my money on my stateroom. It's not enjoyable. You gotta spend a little bit of money, right? You buy a drink, enjoy a specialty restaurant, you know, buy a souvenir on one of the ports. You know, it's part of the experience. And so you know, if it's if that's really going to be at the max budget. It's not worth it. Go for a go for a you know, inside room. Or alternatively, if you're really dead set on a on a balcony, look at other sailings. You know, if you cruise during off season, you will find significantly better deals and better savings there. So if you go, you know, the month of January, the month of September first two weeks of November, first two weeks of December. You may find some really good deals on prices compared to if you're going looking over the summer, over Christmas, and basically every other time the kids are out of school, you'll see higher prices there. Also, one other factor uh, with price, again, is the type of ship you're on, the class of ship. Newer ships cost more money. While they do offer a lot more rooms, like Oasis-class ships, have a ton of balconies, also have a ton of interior balconies, those neighborhood balconies I mentioned earlier, you are paying a bit of a premium compared to an ocean-facing balcony on a Voyager class ship, which is still great. And I'll si- I'll tell you that the balcony rooms, in fact, all the ships uh, that Royal Caribbean offers are really good options for you to consider. So, you know, consider, look at all ideas. Don't just purely limit yourself to necessarily the newest ships in the fleet, while they are very exciting and do offer some really cool features on there. If you can save a couple hundred dollars or thousands of dollars by going to you know, a Freedom class ship or a Voyager class ship, I don't think that would be a disservice to you. I think you'll have a great time on there. All right, time to answer your listener emails. Maybe you're writing about the topic we just talked about with the inside versus balcony. I would love to hear about that or basically anything you have on your mind about Royal Caribbean. If that's a question or a common idea, uh, be sure to email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, m-a-t-t at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email to us comes to us from Shantae and Brandon Parks. And by the way, I'm going to say that if you write an email with the subject line of Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast Save My Vacation, Pretty sure you're going to get your email read on the show. <laughs> I read them all, but this one definitely I made sure. Don't lose this one. So, uh, Shantae wrote, My husband and I went on our first Royal Caribbean cruise on October 22nd, 2017. We sailed on Oasis of the Seas. It was not only the best cruise we've ever been on, it was the best vacation we've ever had. I wanted to write you because we had the worst travel agent ever. It was our first time using a travel agent. We live in Los Angeles, and previous cruises were on Carnival, which after Royal Caribbean, sailing on Royal Caribbean, we'll never do again. It doesn't even come close. Because of where we live, we previously, we didn't have to travel out of state or need an agent to book a cruise. Our experience with our first travel agent was terrible. She didn't help with information on the shuttle transportation from the airport to the hotel, hotel to ship, or back to the airport. Didn't help book hotel states. We flew in the day before we sailed or provide any information or suggestions for excursions, dining, or drink packages. Nothing. She told us we had my time dining, and when we checked in, we found that that was not true. We had traditional dining at 5.30 p.m. Not a big deal. Just yet another error on her part. Honestly past making sure we paid for the cruise on time she did nothing else if it weren't for your podcast we would have been lost we wouldn't have known about the cruise planner and the ability to make reservations for shows which ensured we got to see them thank you or made reservations for chops grill great steak thank you and so many other details and answers to questions i didn't even know i had i found by listening to your podcast a million times thank you we had such a great cruise, great time. we sailing on Enchantment of the Seas, October 2018, out of Galveston, Texas, and saving up to sailing on Symphony of the Seas in 2019. Thank you for helping me have the best vacation of my life, and now I feel like I have a somewhat better idea of what to look for in a travel agent. But I'd like to hear your opinion on this. I don't know if you already have an episode on this or not, but could you do an episode on some expectations of a good travel agent? Perhaps I'm being too harsh on my expectations? What should they be able to do? Information they provide, and any tips on finding a good one, it would be appreciated. P.S. I tried the Lava doozy and loved it! Keep up the great work. Sorry for the super long email. Big fan of the podcast. <laughs> I love the email. Thank you so much, Shante and Brandon. So glad you had a great cruise despite all the troubles you ran into earlier. And I think, you know, talking about travel agents it's a really important topic. Uh, you'll hear me talk very often that everyone should use a travel agent. You'll hear me write about that in the blog as well. But as Shantae pointed out, not all travel agents are created equal. And I will tell you that, in fact, when I, I, I always make a point to this, it's always important to use a good travel agent. What makes a good travel agent? That's what is trying to ask. It's a great question. And travel agents, you know, there's, there's a personality factor to it as well. Certainly some people are looking for more help than others. And... You know, what, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like a date, right? You know, you might meet someone who is amazing for one person, but not really good for you. Same is true for, for travel agents. So what I recommend to do when you're looking at travel agency is, number one, before you commit to booking anything, uh-huh contact them and ask them a couple of questions ask them even questions you know the answers to ask them what's ask them questions that are important to you are you really in, you know are you really big on prompt communication like do you need an answer like within 10 minutes are you looking for are you okay with it being you know an hour a couple hours 24 hours a week you know what kind of you know ask these kind of questions so you know questions like when if i send you a request for a booking or a change request or something like that what's the reasonable turnaround time i should expect that back Ask them, you know, what's their experience been like with Royal Caribbean? Have they just started booking cruises with the Royal? Have they been sailing for a while? What ships have they been on? Just for fun, you know, maybe having that kind of first hand experience really does make a difference. And also, you can ask them, you know, questions that, you, again, that you may even know the answers to. Just not, not, this isn't like stump the chump, but it's an nice opportunity for you to get a sense of it. When they write back the email, you should have, I think, as you're reading the email to your back to yourself, you know, this kind of idea in your mind oh, okay you know, this is the kind of personality you're getting back from them, and you'll quickly see, you know, this is a good fit. Heck, you know, email is usually what we talk about, but, you know, I'll ask them, is there a possibility for me to call you? Is there a possibility? See, are you, where do you, Where are you located? You know, I don't know that travel agent location really means a whole lot. Like, you know, back in the day, you'd have to go into your town to find a travel agent. These days, a vast majority, like, a, I mean, crazy vast majority, are all virtual. I mean, travel agents that work out of an office in a building, you know, is, are Rare these days. It really, most travel agents are virtual, which is by the nature of the industry, you know, it makes actually more sense to do it that way. But, you know, if you can find a travel agent that works kind of near you, that may or may not be an advantage. I mean, I don't know if you really want to go stop in their office and that makes you feel better about it. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But I think contacting them. You know, and letting them know also what your expectations are. I mean, Shanta, you now have at least a framework. You know what you don't like, right? And by the email, it sounds like, well, number one, you want to have the travel agent offer suggestions, right? I think it's a really good idea. Because, of course, you know, you're looking, you might say, I want to go book you know, blank of the season. It doesn't matter what ship it is. I don't want to use an example because I don't want to make it seem like that ship is bad, but, you know, ship A, right? And they might write back, oh, you know what? I I could certainly book you ship A. It's actually going to cost you this amount of money, but if you book ship B, which is closer to your house or same distance from your house or whatever, it's going to be a lot cheaper and it's a newer ship or it offers this, which I know you like, you know, that kind of suggestions, right? Shore excursions and dining suggestions and certainly repricing your cruise. That, to me, is a big deal. Uh, having someone who, when there are new promotions, who's going to proactively reprice your cruise for you, that could certainly be a consideration as well. So, lots of different options there. Now, of course, Shante, uh, I use a travel agent, but full disclosure, they are a sponsor of Royal Now, I've been using them before they were ever a sponsor of Royal but I am obliged to let you know they are a sponsor, so there's a financial relationship there. However, I use MEI Travel, been using them for many, many years. All of our group groups are organized through them. I've been very happy with their level of service, and I think that uh, that they would certainly offer you the kind of service you're looking for. But like I said, do exactly what I told you to do. Contact them, ask them some questions, see how that goes. And I'll post a link in our show notes at realcombingblog.com for more information how you can contact them. In fact, you can go to any page on realcombingblog.com and just fill out that form on the right side of the page, and you will have the information there. So hopefully, Shantae, that that provided a little bit of context for you to understand, you know, what... What you're looking for in a travel agent, but again, it's it's almost like dating. It's it's you gotta you know kind of ask them, you know, maybe not what their favorite color is and <laughs> those kinds of things, but get a sense of their personality and find a match that works for you. And don't be afraid to change travel agents. I tell this people all the time. Even within the agency, maybe you find you're working with travel agent A, you know, company A, right? And the agent you work with is good, but not quite what you're looking for. It's not personal you know ask to speak to their manager or whomever and say you know is it possible for me to change to somebody else nothing wrong with this person necessarily but you know personality wise I'm looking for someone who's going to offer me X, Y, and Z they're happy to help and certainly you know they're working for you right the cruise line pays them a commission but at the end of the day they, you've got to be a happy customer otherwise they're not really going to make any money off of you long term And they want you as a long term customer so uh, you know don't don't suck it up is what I'm trying to say service with the travel agent is really important and it's, with the, it's what makes using a travel agent such a great idea. Thank you for the email. Let's move on to our next email. It is from Brian who writes, just listen to episode 223. Since we're inside one calendar year before our alert of the seas cruise out of Port Everglades, do I get to say it's a timely episode? <laughs> that was, of course, the episode about Port Everglades. Uh, you mentioned flying to alternate airports, and I thought I'd share our current plans. As we usually fly southwest out of Baltimore, there are lots of flights to and from Orlando and Fort Lauderdale. Being Disney park addicts, the plan is to fly into Orlando either late Thursday or early Friday for a Sunday sailing, and we'll do some time at Walt Disney World Friday night. Linger around Disney until early afternoon Saturday, and drive to the port by early evening. Then, get to the port as early as possible on Sunday, we'll fly home via Fort Lauderdale couple other thoughts. Even though we're planning on flying to Orlando, since we'll have a car rental, we'll check out Tampa Airport as well since Tampa can be a lot cheaper than Orlando, or it's usually cheapest to fly into Orlando on the latest flight. We've done this several times, land around midnight and stay at the hotel at or inside the airport. It's actually a really nice hotel, very quiet, and you usually get breakfast included the next day, get in late, sleep, and then pick up the rental around noon. Anyway. Just my two cents. Thanks. Looking forward to the next episode. Brian, great details and great information suggestions. I love the idea, by the way. Certainly, for people who are going to Florida, you know, if you're in the area, going to Orlando, which is a cheaper airport, generally speaking, than Fort Lauderdale or Miami, you fly into Orlando, spend maybe a couple days doing the theme park stuff, and then you drive on down to the port. And I love that idea because he's coming in with enough time that he can still drive down the night before. I think it's really important. Don't drive down the morning of. Uh, first of all, you have to wake up really early. But also, you know what? There's an issue. You never know. But... You know, give yourself that kind of time, don't give yourself don't put yourself under pressure. So I love that idea. And you're right, Tampa, I think, generally speaking, of the major airports in Florida, Tampa's probably the cheapest. Again, generalization here, but in my experience. Of course it's also it's the furthest away from Fort Lauderdale or or Miami. But you know what, depending on the time of year, Florida is wonderful to drive through. It's really beautiful. You know, if you're driving from Tampa to Fort Lauderdale, Miami, you can go down Alligator Alley, which is through the National Everglades Park, which is really, really beautiful and really nice and cool to see. Maybe you see some gators even just while you're driving 70 miles an hour. You never know. Uh, but it's, it's kind of neat. So again, you can make a little bit of a trip of it. I think that's what Brian is trying to say. Don't just, you know, look at it as a commuting idea. It's this. There is stuff to do and see along the way, which is not a bad idea. So thank you, Brian, for the email. Next, we have an email from Michael from Belgium. I have a question about Fort Lauderdale. I'm cruising on Freedom of the Seas, uh, departing on Sunday, April 8th. I'll be the week before in Florida with a car that I'm renting from 6th. I will drop my car off on Sunday morning at the 6th office near Port Everglades. My question is, how can we get from this office back to the terminal? By foot? Taxi? Good question! So, Michael, the answer to your question is you should contact, I don't know about Sixth, but most car rental agencies offer a complimentary shuttle that will take you back and forth. So, you go to the car rental place, you return the car, and they'll drive you and your family and your luggage back to the port. I would advise you, Michael, first of all, drop off your family and luggage at the port, then go back to the, then return the car empty so it's just you, it's a lot easier to get back onto a car rental shuttle. It's oftentimes times a lot of people doing the same thing. But you can call them and ask if they offer a shuttle. If they don't offer a shuttle, you can take a taxi or Uber or Lyft, one of those car-sharing services. Uh, that's certainly going to be the most economical. It's not too far, but it's, it's far enough that you can't really walk. Port Everglades is a very industrial area, and quite honestly, I don't even know if there are any sidewalks. And even if there are, I think you'd really feel out of place doing it. So, yeah, you're call the office directly. Like, you know, Google what the phone number is for the office in... Fort Lauderdale near the port and ask them if there is a free shuttle available that will bring you back and forth. I would be very surprised if they didn't have one. And if they don't, well again as I mentioned you can get a taxi or something like that that'll be it'll be a couple dollars shouldn't be very expensive at all because it's Pretty close. So, good question. By the way, that tip about dropping off with the rental car and then returning the car—that applies to every single port out there. Do that as your standard pr- operating procedure. There's nothing worse than trying to—you know—have you to wait forever for uh, for the uh, shuttle to come back because there's not enough room for all the luggage. Usually they have room for, for people, but they have a limited amount of space for—or a more limited amount of space, I should say—for luggage. Our next email is from AJ, who writes, "Us, uh, AJ from Philadelphia. I'm going on Anthem of the Season in June 2018 with some family and friends. No one in our has ever been on a quantum class ship. Our itinerary is a 9-night Bermuda Caribbean sailing visiting Bermuda, San Juan, St. Martin, and We've all been on those ports before, so we have some ideas of things we want to do in each port. Could you give some tips on what to try and do on board? Also, I was wondering how traditional dining works as there's no main dining room on board. Keep up the great work on the blog and podcast. Thanks for all the help. So let's start with the traditional dining. On on Anthem of the Seas, there is no more dynamic dining. Now, that being said, there's no main dining room. There's four smaller restaurants that are split uh, between my time and traditional. Same basic idea, AJ. Instead of having, like, you know, a, a deck on the dining room that's assigned to you, you're going to have a particular restaurant. But the restaurant is, it doesn't matter. The menu is the same across the mall. So if you get assigned American Icon Grill, as an example, or Silk, the only difference between you and the other restaurants, the you know, the other complimentary restaurants, is the decor the menu is the same and of course whether it's traditional you know set first seating or second seating or my time dining but the menu is exactly the same so there's no issue there so it works just basically in that same way hope that makes some sense uh and to what to do in each port man it's some great ports of bermuda i think you're only there for the day if i'm not mistaken i think you got to go for the beach bermuda is just well known for its beaches horseshoe bay i mean that'd be to me that's got to be like number one with a bullet and everything else is kind of secondary if you don't want to do beach stuff take the ferry over to Hamilton which is the city and you can go there also uh, there's another city that you can get, get there via a uh, ferry called um, St. George if I'm not mistaken there's a fort and some other historical things you can see there San Juan Old San Juan I just go I just always recommend walk around explore get lost in Old San Juan there's such great history culture food uh, emphasis on food it's so so good um, but I like doing that kind of stuff if you're looking for something a little bit different uh, you have El Yunque rainforest which is the only rainforest in the United States that you can go visit, kinda cool if you're into the hiking and sweating thing. I'm not, but to each their own. Uh, St. Martin, you know, with the recent hurricanes, this may or may not change your 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 plans, but of course you're going in June 2018, which I would tell you, AJ, that's, you know, I mean, we're talking about seven months away, six, seven months away. A lot can change between now and then, but I suspect that more stuff will be coming online by then. That's good news for you. Uh, but I would tell you that if you're going to St. Martin, there's a lot of great choices between the French side and the Dutch side. I generally prefer things on the French side, Marigot, which is the capital of the French side. There's some great shopping, great eating. There's also a beautiful beach in Grand Case, which is a smaller town near Marigot. I'd recommend going there for swimming. Um, but you know, shopping, swimming, there, there's a lot to consider over there. It's just a matter of really what's open at this point. And in l'abadie it's a beach day. Labadee is a beach day. If you want to go crazy, if you want to go Matt Hotchberg style, you rent a cabana. I love it. It's a couple hundred dollars, but for you and your family, it might be a really nice way to kind of, you know, put an exclamation park on the cruise and kind of do something a little bit different. Uh, if you've never done a cabana before, it's amazing. You can have up to six people join you. And quite honestly, just between you and me, that six is kind of a soft limit. If you had eight, I don't think it would really matter. So... Something to keep in mind when you're uh, when you're uh, booking the cruise and planning it, but some good ports. I love those ports, by the way. Really, really good ones. Not not a not a skip in the, in the whole bunch. All right, we've time for one more email. It is from Stefan from Germany. It's always great to listen to your podcast. I'm currently planning our Alaska tour and would love to hear another detailed podcast. I remember, there was one out already, but going to Alaska with the Royal Caribbean. I've noticed there are basically two different types of cruises available, one from Seattle that's round trip and one from Vancouver that seems to go further north than the one from Seattle. Which trip is better? On top of this, we'd like to book a royal creeping cruise tour, land tour, offered three to seven days. What should we expect from the cruise tour? Are those days counting towards Anchor points and lots more questions? Good questions all around, and you know, we have done some episodes about uh, Alaska, which I think quite honestly still stand up. I mean there's only so much you can say about it. I will say I will answer a couple of questions. So there are two basic itineraries. One is, as Stefan said, is a round trip out of Seattle, seven nights. Departs from Seattle, comes back to Seattle. That's the advantage. The, seven, the other one is on a smaller ship, uh, usually a Radiance-class ship, that offers a seven-night sailing It's a one-way. So you embark in Vancouver, usually, and then you disembark somewhere in Alaska. Alternatively, you can just do a back-to-back, but that requires 14 days to get back to Vancouver, if that makes any kind of sense. Um... Which is better? (laughs) Which is better based on what? In terms of the ports you're visiting, you're gonna get a lot more ports on the on the one-way sailings because you're you're spending more time, right? You're not you don't have to worry about the time required to get back, and you're in a smaller ship, so you get a little bit better. uh, You get more ports. Certainly, if you do back and forth, the the round trip, you're gonna visit all the highlights certainly. But of course, for a lot of people, 14 nights is not really in the cards, and so then you gotta fly out of Alaska, which is if nothing else just a longer plane ride and a little more difficult to plan because there's not too many direct flights from like you know places like Anchorage uh, to uh, as many places like say Seattle does. so you know there's those kind of considerations I don't know that one is better than the other you know generally speaking it really depends on what you're looking to do if you want to if you're saying Matt I'm from Germany bootleg this is my only time going to Alaska I'll never go again but I want to see it all I want to do it and it sounds like you you're talking about the land tours I think you almost have to do the back to back on the Radiance-class ships that go uh, that you know, the, the, the two one-ways because that'll give you the total port experience. And then you can also add on the land tours. Now, the land tours are these tours you can do. They're, think of them as longer-duration shore excursions that you can add on. They offer land tours primarily in Alaska and in the Mediterranean. They do offer them in some other places as well. But basically, they're ways to add on to your cruise. So while your cruise may be over, there's something you can do about that, you uh, can offer these land tours. As an example, in Alaska, they offer a land tour that goes on the uh, Trans-Canadian Railway that goes over the Rocky Mountains, which is pretty cool. And you can do that. You can go into much deeper into Alaska than your cruise port will allow you to do. And these are overnight kind of experiences, right? Uh-huh. There's a multitude of them. Certainly, your travel agent can help you uh, figure out which ones offer you know, which, which options. In terms of the Crown and Anchor Points, my, I believe, I could be wrong, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Send me an email I'm at Matt at realcomblog.com. But I'm pretty sure that the land tours, the cruise tours, whatever they uh-huh. call them, do not count towards your credit anchor uh, status. You don't get points for that. You just get a nice experience. Like, that's my gut telling me that. But, again, I could be wrong. But, again, your travel issue with q and of course, you will going to listen to next week's episode. I'm sure I'll get some feedback if I'm wrong on that. I generally, if I say anything that's not 100% right, I generally get some emails pretty quickly about that, which is great, by the way. I'm not complaining. I love having I want to get the right information out there. But my sense of it, and again, I'm pretty sure about I feel pretty good about this answer, although, again, <laughs> I may be wrong. But I feel pretty good that that's correct. But again, if, I, if I'm not right, please, please, please feel free to correct me. So, Stephan, hopefully that answers your question. Of course, we'll be going to Alaska in June 2018. And so you'll have, at the very least, some episodes coming your way about that. I'm not sure you told me when you're going to Alaska. since That may or may not help you, but... There are some new episodes coming your way about Alaska. I promise you that, Stefan. Thank you for listening to the episode. Thank you to everybody for listening, and I appreciate that. If you want to have your email read right over here so I can talk about it and read it on the air and answer it for you, please, 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 please feel free to email me, matt, M-A-T-T, at com. Matt at com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hochberg, and we'll talk again soon.